Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome everyone to Rockin' Nation Podcast. This is another episode of Dive Cuts. Uh, I'm not even going to talk about what episode it is because we, we are going to henceforth... Uh, have our episodes be known as uh, as after UMKC and uh, and pre UMKC. So everything before was uh, pre UMKC. Um, things were I don't want to say hunky dory. Um, I don't want to say that we were riding the you know the Conzo train. We were definitely intrigued by what this this team was going to be. It is now post. UMKC and everybody is freaking out. Uh, my finger is on on the panic button. I haven't fully pressed it, uh, but with me as always, I'm your host Sam Snelling. I don't think I actually said that yet. Uh, with me as always is, is my co-host Matt. Matt, my finger is on the panic button. Should I press the panic button? Oh no! Let's see what happens against NIU, man. But uh, <laughs> um, that was a sobering event. On- <laughs> Well, yeah, and and I want to be very like I realize that you know I can I can come across sometimes as as fairly like sarcastic in a lot of these things. Like I am not being sarcastic in saying that, uh, and I I believe I even said this on the Slack channel uh, today as we were kind of talking about it. Um, like at no point in Council Martin's tenure have I had the thought like this isn't going to work out. Um, there were. 
there were moments really early on and probably the UMKC game of commanders since tenure where you just, you have that moment of realization, like this is just not going to work out. Um, and really like last night, so we're recording this uh, on Tuesday, November 16th, Monday, November 15th, Missouri took the floor against the, uh, and actually met there just the Kansas city ruse. Now they're not UMKC. Cause you know, we have to do all this name change stuff now. Um, they took the floor against the ruse and they laid a big fat giant egg and played what is possibly the worst game of, uh, a basketball under Conzo Martin. Uh, if not certainly very close with the, uh, the stinker, um, that occurred against Charleston Southern. So one of those two, I think UMKC is technically a little higher in Ken Palm. Yeah, but um, I mean, gameplay wise, there Southern. that was worse than what we witnessed against Charleston Southern. I, I didn't it, right because like the whole time you watch against Charleston, you're like, this is just like an absurd outcome. Like Missouri just could not buy a basket. Things were like happening. You're like, uh, where like last night, there was like the better team yeah. won. Yeah, and and UMKC played a better, cleaner game really for most of the game. And obviously they were helped by uh, Evan Gilliard. Yep. I almost don't even know his first name. Um, kind of going off in the second half to really kind of build up that, that separation, uh, you know, that, that put Missouri behind the eight ball. But that was like very sobering moment. Uh, and, and yeah, like the, the thought certainly goes through your head. Like, like, Oh, 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 God, are we going to be looking for a coach? Yeah, I, I think you, like, you don't want to be alarmist, obviously. Like, I, I you're, they're not. Matt, I think, I think people generally think of us as, like, the farthest thing from alarmist. No, like, what I'm saying and, is, and I don't. To the, to the point <laughs> where, where they, they're like, they, there are a lot of people out there that will mock uh, our opinions and Rock Nation's opinions. Uh, that that we sort of published because of our uh, our lack of uh, alarmity. Is that even no? I, I think there's a segment that's gonna that would like him to be fired today. That's irrational, but I do think that if you come out of this and you were highly skeptical of what this roster construction looked like, of what this schematic shift was gonna look like, and just the general state of the program you're selling stock today and there's nothing i can say to you to dissuade you from doing that there's just not i think you know it we had talked you know a week ago about you know let's look at the first three games here and see what the sample is and not overreact to it and you know you think to yourself there's going to be a, a group that's not going to be happy either way but, you know, I look at what that game was last night from start to finish, and at no point was Mizzou in control in any aspect of that game. Any phase of that game, Mizzou was not dictating any terms to a team that lost its best player to the transfer portal, that went and, you know, grabbed Anderson Kopp and Evan Gilliard out of the transfer portal from New Mexico State and Lamar and whose best player was in foul trouble for long stretches of the game, the guy who 
you know, any rational observer would have thought was going to have to carry, you know, the ruse last night. Sat for 15 minutes, 10, you know, long stretches of the first half. And you don't do anything. You never assert your will. Your offense doesn't do anything that it's designed to do. You're unable to create any kind of pace. You're unable to even do the things that, you know, you and I would consider rudimentary on the defensive end of the floor. And I know people are going to focus on the offense, but, and, and you wrote about this today. I think to me, the most alarming thing was the defensive performance. Just poor ball screen coverage, poor switches, awful backside rotations. I mean, there's one play in the second half that just sticks out to my mind. There's a drive from the corner and Javon Pickett is holding, you know, one pass away against Evan Gilliard. Help side has come to the ball. Like Javon Pickett doesn't need to do anything. He sprints basically from the corner to the rim and leaves Evan Gilliard, who's just going berserk all alone in the corner. <laughs> just no need to do it. Not even like in any way required from a rotational perspective, just leaves the shooter. You know, there were a couple times too, you know, even in the central Michigan game where you, you would just see Pickett have hands down, you know, against Jermaine Jackson. A game earlier, Jermaine Jackson's a guy who shoots when guys go under screens, and he got three looks that way. Gilliard shoots pull-ups. That's his thing. He shoots off the one bounce, and he likes to drive left. He got those things last night. Like So it wasn't even like, oh, man, what a great you know schematic plan that Billy Donlin drew up. There were just stretches where there were inexcusable errors where they didn't seem to know the scouting report on some guys. And if, you know, we've said it before, if you're con the biggest, you know, argument for Conzo Martin is that his teams are going to be sound defensively. They're going to execute a scout and they're going to give themselves a chance. They didn't do any of that on the defensive floor into the floor last night. And I think that again, that's just what was most alarming to me was those things that, you know, you tout as a strength, we're just completely absent. And that's before you get to the offensive issues. Right. And I think so before really all off season, we've sort of looked at the construction of this team and, and there were, there were always kind of red flags. Right. And, and we've talked about like, okay, so are these things going to happen enough for Missouri to be competitive? Um, you know, you talk about, scaling up production from Amari Davis and, and Boogie Coleman, specifically those two guys. You talk about, uh, you know, can Deshaun Gordon, uh, you know, sort of take another step in his development? Is he able to, you know, become more of an efficient, uh, you know, wing? Are the freshmen going to be able to come in and, and be impactful at all? Uh, and you needed all of these things to sort of take place uh, and instead, we've we've gotten really none of those things have happened. I mean, Boogie looked good, uh, you know, for stretches against uh, Central Michigan, and and you know, Mari Davis looked okay at times in Central Michigan. You know, like we kind of talked, like he had soft misses from three. Like those are the things that you were kind of hoping to see to see, like if he's a guy who could start to make you know threes at a higher percentage than what he had. Um, and so while like while these things were happening a little bit against 
uh, Central Michigan, it was really going to be key to see, you know, like, okay, now we've got Deshaun Gordon, uh, you know, coming back. You're going to see more of what we expected to see. And like my biggest concern here, and, and you know, one thing that I think as you're kind of picking on uh, Javon Pickett for his defense, like Javon Pickett and 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 Kobe Brown have, have never been Missouri's best defenders. Like Missouri was a good defensive team the last few years because Drew Smith is awesome. Mark Smith uh, was good off as the a ball. Defender. Mark Smith was good off the ball. And, you know, Jeremiah Tillman uh, was good in rim protection, you know, and Mitchell Smith made them very switchable, yeah. right? So, like, these are all the things that, that made them uh, competent defensively. And and you get into this, this mode of where, uh, so getting back to, you know, Javon and, and Kobe before I get <laughs> sidetracked. So neither of those guys have, have been truly strong defenders. But now not only are they kind of continuing to, to, have the issues that they've had defensively, you're also seeing more possessions than you want kind of funneled through them on offense. And I think like early on in Javon's career, like we were all kind of excited. Oh, look at this guy. He's, he's better than we thought, you know, but, but you saw a guy with limited ceiling and a guy who was at his best last year when he was relegated to a bench role an energy role, a guy who would, you know, attack closeouts and hit corner threes. Like that's what you want Javon Pickett doing. And now they've got him, you know, out catching handoffs and trying to turn the corner. Uh, you know, they've got Kobe Brown trying to facilitate. And when I was looking at the roster, like all off season, I'm thinking you need the ball in Amari Davis's hands. You need the ball in Boogie Coleman's hands. And those guys need to be able to scale up their, uh, their production in order for Missouri to kind of hit this goal. And and so instead we're getting like steady doses of Javon Pickett and Cody Brown. And, and those two guys had nine turnovers combined, you know, against UMKC. So like if you have your veterans, the guys that you're supposed to be relying, you know, turning the ball over uh, and, and yeah, Kobe had a nice night offensively. Uh, a lot of know, garbage time points. Trouble early. Garbage time points. Right, but that that like there was <laughs> there was a lot of those points that that didn't matter. Like he he was not around because of foul trouble in in the stretches that mattered. And um, I think to me, like that's been the most frustrating thing for me watching where this team has sort of been in the first two games is all the things that we talked about in the offseason for them to kind of hit this goal has just has not happened. And and then like on top of that, like you we make a big deal about like this positionless basketball and, and being able to switch one through five. And you just you don't you don't see it. Like they don't they don't switch one through five even when <laughs> even when they have like the right personnel out on the floor. And, and like it's it's happened from time to time. And I think there's a, a a few times uh against Central Michigan specifically where where you know Central Michigan was kind of running the you know the the dribble weave and and whatnot and Missouri was just switching and like that's that was nice to see but in large part it, it hasn't been that in the ball screen coverage I think you it was mentioned n- not good just, just bad I don't like I don't know and and again like like this is the frustrating thing is is this is Consul Martin sort of you know, group, this is what he wanted to kind of 
rebuild with, but the, they should be able to do certain things uh, like defend uh, and make life hell on the offense, at least when you're playing Central Michigan and UMKC. Uh, and it, it just doesn't appear to be the case. I, I guess what's flabbergasting to me is that, you know, we talk about we want to be aggressive. We want to be on the ball. We want to create turnovers. We want to get after people. We want to have this steady state ball pressure where we're able to have our defense create some transition for us where we can take some pressure off the half court. And, you know, we're seeing stretches where Jordan Wilmore comes on and Jordan Wilmore is being asked to get out and soft hedge. Like, there's no world in which that works. And again, like, I, it's going to sound cruel like I'm picking on a guy who put in great work to, you know, shed weight this offseason, but you watch. Jordan Wilmore in ball screen defense, and it doesn't work. I mean, the first thing Mich Central Michigan did with him on the floor was say, can this guy recover in pick and pops? Can he move laterally and get over and cover? You know, teams have tested him, you know, see if he's going to be able to get out there to hedge. That hasn't worked. I mean, last night there were two plays where Gilliard blows by him because he's not there to contain the dribbler. Like, and so I think that's what, frustrates me is there's like you said there's just not the thing that it was billed to be at this point and offensively I mean some of you have to give credit to last night for Billy Donlin for having a good game plan I mean they were really smart in their in their you know pick and roll and ball screen coverages they were really smart about blowing up handoffs with Gilliard and having guys get in there to disrupt timing but, you know, you don't see, like, even an attempt by Missouri, if they can't get the turn off the corner there, the offense is just dead in the water because they've got two guys holding low. And, you know, they don't really have a great rolling option yet. And so the offense just kind of dies there, and none of the guards so far have been able to snake dribble anything or at least work their way back to the paint. But a lot of that's because you've got guys like Pickett or Brown or even Gordon, guys who are not primary initiators handling. Like you'll have Boogie Coleman off the ball, or you'll have Amari Davis over in a slot. You know, guys who should be able to play downhill. I mean, Amari Davis's whole thing is navigating traffic to get to the nail and get to the SEC logo, and you're not seeing him get any touches in spots that he likes on the floor. So it's just, it seems like everything's the opposite of what you want from this offense. and. You know, I, I get that you want to have respect for veterans and you want to, you know, see if they can kind of carry portions for you. But, it, you know, Kobe Brown had five pick and rolls as a passer in two years. Javon Pickett's not had much more than that. There's just not any, like, credible body of evidence that you could point to, at least that we've seen in live action, that would say, yes, this is something that, you know, we think can scale up. If both those guys were able to do it, you would have seen it already. You would have, you know, I, I don't think Consul Martin would have said, no, we're not going to have two capable pick and roll passers, you know, not operate that way for us. So it's, if there's a plan, you know, it, it it's clearly not going to form at all. And it's just really hard, you know, when you come out of a game like that, 
you know, no matter how, you know, we did it last night, we looked at lineups and we looked at every sort of mix and match combination. There was no solution sitting there. You know, it, it is what it is coming out of the game. And I think that's what's disconcerting is you couldn't look inside matchups. You couldn't look inside rotations and really see anything. You know, if this is what the build is and this is what it's going to do, then yeah, uh, there, there's reason to be alarmed and reason to have your finger on a panic button, like you said earlier. Getting back to, I think, you know, where we originally had planned to kind of start. We had a lot to get out of there. We had a lot uh, of frustration and a lot of notes that we wanted to get out there. But I, I, you know, I wanted to talk about the contract because I, I feel like this is something that we need to clarify so everybody kind of is on the same page. Um, and we looked it up right before just to make sure we had the language correct. So Consul Martin, let's say this this season absolutely just goes south. Um, like UMKC was not an outlier. It was yeah, the it was an of a omen, trend. a really bad one. Uh, yeah, and and I mean, and with the, with the non con schedule that's coming up, I mean, it's entirely possible it gets sideways uh, quick that things get get yeah get get gets pretty ugly. So let's just go down this dark, dark pathway and, and, and look at what, you know, what does that mean if, if Missouri wants to make a move with Kanza Martin at the end of the year uh, or even during the year? Um, and in his contract, it's stipulated that they cannot fire him without cause. So that would be like if he, you know, was found to have done something egregious, uh, that would violate his contact contract terms. NCAA rules violation violates university policy um, somehow. University policy, uh, yeah, you know something completely out of character really for what we know about Gun. Completely out of character for Gonzo Martin, uh, and I think like everybody at this point, like we all agree. You know, no matter what you feel about Gonzo Martin as a basketball coach, like there's few better people. Um, especially in college basketball. Uh, so it's really not very likely that Conza Martin does something to violate those contract terms. So you're looking at the earliest Missouri could fire him is essentially May 1st. If they decided they wanted to fire him on May 1st, and this is this is after the coaching like hot season, hot bubble season, um, you know, basically the the carousel. That's the word I'm looking for. This is after the carousel has already calmed down uh, and bas- ba- basically over, like because usually it's it's all kind of buttoned up by mid-April. Yeah. Uh, you would then owe him $6 million. So if this thing goes sideways and you want to make a move, you would have to wait until May 1st and pay him a $6 million buyout. Um, is that possible? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's it's possible it happens. Um, you know, like there have been stranger coaching searches uh, after, well, like, you know, Bayline uh, left for the Cavs job uh, a couple of years ago and they hired Juwan Howard. That's turned out pretty well. Um, there was another one that was... Uh, bad Mata retired really, really late. and But they went and they got <laughs> Chris Holtman, so at Ohio State. Yeah, yeah, that that turned out okay. Um, 
I feel like there was another one like last year, year before that was just sort of like, well, that's kind of weird timing. But anyway, it's not unheard of that you have to look for a coach that kind of late in the game, but it's unlikely. So I feel like if we're starting from there uh, and, and understanding that the odds of Conzo Martin being fired uh, are remote this year. Uh, this does not look like an NCAA tournament team. Uh, it, I think uh, it looks like probably the second um, worst team in the SEC right now, and that's kind of saying something considering that I've actually watched Texas A&M play. I've watched South Carolina yeah. play. Um, yeah. You know, but if Missouri finishes this season the way that they've started, um, it's still an incredibly difficult move for the athletic department to fire their coach. Now, that doesn't mean that they can't make changes. Uh, and this is like one of the things that I've even advocated really before this season started. Cause as you know, Matt, like I'm always somebody who thinks that the administration has not done their due diligence to invest in men's basketball, the way that I feel like they should, if they want to win at a high level. Um, so it is possible that, that, you know, uh, Desiree, uh, Reed Francois, has a postseason meeting with Conzo Martin and says, we've got to make structural changes if you're going to succeed. And I think that the best case scenario is obviously, well, best case scenario is none of this happens, uh, that they find a way to become a good defensive team this year. Uh, they find a way to become more f- effective on offense somehow. Uh, and, and they have a, a, a year that you can kind of build on. I mean, one game should never define a season. Um you know, despite how that felt last night. So I tend to think like if you get to the point where you're, you're at the end of the season, you say, we need structural change. We need to upgrade your assistant staff. We need to expand your assistant staff. Uh, and these are the things that we need to do to get there. And, and really like, you know, force Martin's hand. Cause you know, Martin's, uh, I think I even mentioned this to you today, like his, his like best traits as a person are also some of his worst traits as a college basketball coach, like his loyalty um, to really, you know, guys that he's come to trust, uh, you know, and, and I don't mean this to say that the, the job that, you know, Chris Hollander or Cornell Mann or, you know, Marco Harris have done is poor, um, you know, but the results are what they are, and, and you're at a point now where your talent level, you know, Missouri has no top 100 dudes. They've got one coming in next year, but there are none currently on the roster. Yeah. To me, the where you get into the issue is if you you know, demand structural changes within the program. How 
willing will the assistants you want to bring in be to looking at this type of program where they're going to know that Zoe's on the hot seat. Like, I mean, you're going to, you're going to pay regardless to get those guys in the door here, but what's the premium going to be? What's the structure of those deals going to be to get those guys in? And realistically, if you are making moves in April um, to overhaul this staff, you know, and, you know, you want to try and rapidly upgrade alongside an Aiden Shaw coming in, are you going to have the ability to do that in the portal? And, and you know, so it, there's just a lot of moving pieces where I think you've got to ask yourself, if we're going to do this type of thing and we're going to, you know, overhaul, launch this overhaul and we're going to be paying a premium and we're going to be in a bind where we may not see this work a year from now, should we just bite the bullet and even though it's late, start over? Because the next two years, I believe the contract language is the same for the year after that. There's still a May 1 provision there. If you're going to be in the same position timing-wise a year later, sure, the buyout's half as much as it would be before, but if you're going to be in the same timing position and you're not quite sure you're going to be able to draw the kind of staff here, do you just pull the plug and just say, you know, we know we're probably going to pay a premium to the next guy coming in and we're just going to take the money that we would pay to upgrade this staff and we'll just put it in the pool for a new guy. I think that that's, that's a world where I could, that's a logic I could see being in play too. You know, if I just think that's one thing you have to consider is, you know, and that's, that's going to be, you know, what, Desiree Reed Francois sees this year behind the scenes, what she sees within the program, you know, moving forward, I think that's going to obviously inform her decision, but I'm just thinking from a game theory perspective, you know, is it worthwhile to try and go through that when you could just say, let's, let's just start whole cloth and, and, you know, move forward that way. If, if the season goes, you know, the way we're talking about. So it may just be beyond the point where you're talking about structural change, where you just decide it's going to be onerous either way for us. Let's just move now and try and give our got and try and give the program another you know, year just to start retooling under someone else. Not, not a converse, not a conversation you want to have, but just, <laughs> just thinking, you know, what might be the most logical move there? Well, so clearly where the season has started and even like even through the reports of um you know the scrimmages and how they perform the scrimmages uh and i mean not seeing those things it, it always makes it difficult because you don't kind of know how the game went you don't know like the play um you know but there were encouraging reports that you know missouri was looking better than maybe we kind of thought they might be uh you know, competitive with both Oklahoma State and Creighton, two teams who, uh, yeah, obviously Oklahoma State's dealing with a you know a stupid postseason ban this year, um, you know, but a talented team, a team that probably would have been in the answer like uh, conversation um, had they not take 
you know, gotten the the slap from the instant. Creighton's a little different. Uh, Creighton looks like, yeah, like they're a little bit down this year, but but still, you know, a program that has been really good for uh, a long time under you know Greg McDermott. So, um, I'll just say to that a couple of weeks ago though we looked we talked obtusely about the the Creighton box score, but you look back at that box score now, and man, that was some foreshadowing. You know, that was a situation where Pickett. And, you know, Brown were doing a lot of the work offensively where you had Kobe Brown with a sky-high usage rate. The turnovers were high. The turnovers were high among, you know, guys like Kobe. The jump shots were being taken by guys who, you know, we objectively would probably not want shooting jumpers. Um, you know, the perimeter game wasn't very good there. Um, that, that Creighton game, if you looked at it underneath the hood, they performed slightly better than Creighton because they were able to get to the rim, but you know, they didn't shoot the ball. Well, the turnovers, you know, probably hurt them. It cost them some possessions that in a 40 minute game probably would have given them a win. The distribution of sort of where the ball was flowing to Gordon, to Pickett, to Brown, you know, not as much to Boogie, not as much, you know, to Amari, you know, those things were sort of, even if you didn't see it, you could see, the metrics telling you that story in the box score. And then you watch these two games and, you know, you can kind of see maybe what the hints were there. And it, as we've talked about, it's not the conception of what this roster should have been or the, or the execution of the concept behind this roster so far. So that's all I'll say. I, I think there was maybe some, some potential evidence sitting in that box score. If, if you kind of look at what you see now and kind of hold it up next to it. Right. But essentially though, is even if, even if like the results of the season were, you know, more disappointing and, you know, but the end result was a team that was still like 70 to 85 or so. And, in, in Ken Palm, I mean, there was still reason to feel okay. Uh, you know, about, essentially like making some tweaks and running it back next year with, you know, some, some added talent. Uh, but there's a, there's a big difference to me between a team that is basically hitting the reset and finishing top 75 ish and a team that right now looks like it, you know, and again, like it's still early things can, can happen, but They've dropped uh, in Kempom since the start of the season. What are 120th. they? One twenty, 120th right now, uh, and that seems generous based upon the two performances that we've seen, where it was really a fairly competitive game against Central Michigan, a team who has not looked good, um, you know, outside of uh, you know the missouri game and really the the main reason why they they won that game is there was a 10 minute run where they just looked great um so i mean like that's the thing is is missouri's basically had uh you know 10 minutes of play against central michigan this year that we've seen where they looked like a team that you could kind of fall in love with and enjoy and 30 minutes of man 30 minutes 
30 minutes of yeah and then another 40 well, well 35 I mean, of just i mean it like i hate to even like refer to like the, the last 10 minutes of like garbage time where the game was basically over and they were able to kind of trim the lead um you know it's like it's difficult to kind of refer to garbage time like with any sort of importance they've had essentially 10 minutes of, of play this year we're like i like the way that team looks the way that team plays um you know and so if if that's going to be and so like this is kind of where we get into like the uh advanced numbers right like like you're talking about um you know a collection of possessions and essentially like you want to be better uh on more possessions than you are bad on possessions. Um, and right now, Missouri, like, so out of 130 possessions, you're probably looking at, like, what, 25? That have been what, yeah, like, like what you, what you want. Um, and so, like, where, like, at some point, like, you need to see that tide turn for this team, and you need to see, uh, you need to see the efficiency grow. You need to see uh, something that they're doing uh, on either end of the floor that that is cohesive and makes sense. Um, and like I think like that to, to me that's probably been the thing that's been most dispiriting is um, dispiriting. Um, it's just watching watching a team that doesn't feel like it has a direction which is antithetical to what we thought we were going to see. Like, I really believed we saw a direction that Konzo wanted to go and he recruited to that direction. And we have not seen that team remotely close to executing what he spoke about his vision being. The, the question here and, and, you know, I think some people would say we were not harsh enough in the critiques of the roster construction this offseason. My response would be I, I'm always going to want to wait and see what a basketball team looks like as a collective entity before I judge it. But I, I do think, you know, back in the spring, there was part of me that was thinking, are they drinking their own Kool-Aid a little bit too much on evaluating mid-major guys? Um, you know, I, you know, I write the scouting profiles mostly just so I can get a sense for the guys that are going after. And, you know, a guy like Dejuan Gordon, you know, his high school coach or Chicago scouts would tell you, you know, really streaky shooter effort guy, you know, going to be a dude who was going to be a sixth or seventh guy in your rotation at the high major level. He's starting for Missouri. You know, um, Ronnie DeGray, a guy I, you know, think maybe, you know, was probably a little bit undervalued in the recruiting process. But, you know, again, is is Ronnie DeGray a high major starter? Or is Ronnie DeGray a guy that we saw against Central Michigan where he comes in and he gives you energy and on the right night and in the right matchup, he delivers for you because he's kind of a jack of all trades. Again, he's young. He's a bigger Javon. <laughs> but again, is is that guy going to be an impact player, or are you going to need to start 
seeing what we've seen, and I think what we, you and I talked about before, was you're going to rely on the collective as opposed to get certain guys that carry you. Now, the two guys that I thought, and you mentioned earlier, obviously, in Amari Davis and Boogie Coleman, I thought one of those two guys could pop because Drew wasn't a burst guy. Drew was a pace guy, you know, but, you know, he just was a smart basketball player. He understood angles. He had good footwork. He was sound, played his ass off, had great tenacity, and just a high IQ, put it all together and, and you know, translated it. Um, you know, I thought, you know, you know, Amari Davis, a guy who, you know, was knocked because he was a little bit undersized, more mid-range, but guy produced, you know, in the sample size you look at against high majors, it translated, you know, he was able to play pretty well in those games. And I thought, you know, with the style that Missouri was talking about, there were ways for him to fit. So I thought, okay, if you can get Boogie Coleman and Amari Davis to pop a little bit, you know, the other two transfers give you stuff at the margins and then everyone kind of backfills, you're fine. But realistically here, we, you know, we haven't, we've only seen one game from Gordon, but you, you just look at how this team has been set up and you just wonder, did they overreach on some guys and, and, and who they were going to try and build around here? And, you know, it's hard for me to critique the freshman because Yaya Keita hadn't played in a year and he's now having to transition back to the college level. Anton Brookshire is trying to make the jump. But it's it's fair to wonder, you know, did they over did they overevaluate some guys in the transfer portal as to what they could deliver right away? And Right. Yeah. I think you're you're correct in that we should probably withhold judgment on on the freshman. Yeah, the, the on the freshman. Um, I yeah, I mean, it, that's one of those things. Like I, <laughs> you can kind of see why they're hesitant to play Shandur Gordon. Uh, he's an intriguing, intriguing prospect, but he's a little bit of a train wreck on the floor. Um, certainly, like I think you'd probably feel a little better about Brookshire if you know if I think I feel like he just needs to see the ball go through the net. Um. You know, Yaya, again, like you were saying, like he hadn't played basketball. He, he missed his entire senior year because of a knee injury. So he's just coming back from that. And that that's like, that's not nothing. And that, that's one of those things like everybody, you know, early on was when Mookie Cooper was playing on the football team. Like, oh, what's going on with Mookie? Like, well, Mookie hasn't played football, like live football really in two years. And he's battling a foot injury like, like. He's still talented. Give him some time to get healthy and get used to to playing football again. He'll be fine. And I think like that's kind of what what you're talking about, like with yeah, yeah, like those guys in time will be fine. Are they as impactful as you maybe hoped? Uh, well, I would say like a resounding no, because the like with the lack of. Uh, impact that we've seen from you know the transfers really like you needed somebody else to step up and unfortunately like you just can't ask young freshmen like that that aren't aren't elite guys but are are good developmental guys uh, to just come come in and blow you away. There's not many things that correlate when you like look at freshman performance across the SEC outside of like elite dudes are elite dudes on good teams usually. But here's one thing you can notice anecdotally when guys like Brookshire are getting heavy usage and putting up a lot of points. 
we're getting we're having to carry teams that those teams don't win a lot of games like the best case for this was Anton Brookshire being a guy who would come in and give you 16 points you know 16 or 17 minutes six or seven six to eight points a couple dimes can come in spell boogie you know while he's resting on the bench get the ball move it to Amari when Amari needs to get and play out of the slot and you know play in the mid-range that that's what you needed you you can't ask you know Brookshire to come in and, and now carry you here because if that's the case that means the evaluation was flat wrong on Boogie it was flat wrong on Amari and everything's pretty much blown up at this point and so the question to me really is are the evaluations off or do they really or is it just a hey we need to reorient the offense and just sort of move Pickett or Brown back to sort of their roles or how much of this is teams have already figured out what this team is and schemed it to where that's just where the ball's moving to. And at that point, then you're into like an entire conceptual problem of what the offense and defensive setups are here. So I think that's kind of the thing that you monitor moving forward is how much of this is roster, how much of it is just what that roster is being asked to do. Like it's, it's really just trying to figure out where all where all the problems sort of manifest from well yeah and i i think ultimately like this is why um you know people went from kind of zero to 60 uh you know on on martin and his job performance which you know i like i will i will argue till i'm blue in the face if you think Conzo had not done an admirable job uh with the last you know four seasons i think considering all the the roadblocks that were set up uh, with injuries and, and, you know, piecing together what was considered to be the worst power five conference team for the previous three years and the wreckage that, that Commanderson had left, um, you know, like I, it was an admirable job. Did he, did he ace the test? No, but I don't think any of us ever said that he did. Um, obviously recruiting wasn't, where a lot of us wanted it. Uh, he finally kind of broke through on that, you know, this fall. And so like, there was reason to kind of come into the season with a little bit of hope. And it's just like everything that you had hoped to see, like, like it, you haven't seen any of it. Um, and to me, like the, and uh, you know, maybe this is like rehashing the same kind of points over and over again, the biggest indictment, that I have of, of what they've been doing is the amount of usage that they're basically funneling through Javon and Kobe Brown, two guys who, you know, I, I realize Konzo is a loyal guy and, and two guys that he absolutely loves because they work hard. They're good kids. Uh, you don't ever have any problems with them. They show up, they do their job, all that stuff. It's great. But you reached the NCAA tournament last year with those guys as role players, not primary options. And Mizzou's offense was at its best last year. You know, when they were the fourth or Jeremiah fifth guy. and Drew when when the pros were playing like pros, and if hopefully if X was having a good night too, man, like things were humming. Or Mark was, but it was never or something. Yeah, like like one of the worst games of the year last year was the game where Kobe had his best game, and that was Georgia. 
Like that to me, that says something that that things aren't going well. Like he's he's a fourth or fifth option on a good team, um, and on a really good team, he's he's a guy that's coming off the bench. And the same thing for for Pickett. You know, like I think you know Pickett last year was in a much better role uh, because he was coming off the bench. He wasn't asked to do the kinds of things that he was asked to do as a freshman and a sophomore. I understood why he was asked to do those things as freshman and sophomore. He was a little bit more mature than other people in his class. So he's a little bit ahead because he, he took that prep year. Uh, and he came in more ready uh, to contribute. But it doesn't mean that he's a guy that you build your program around. At least not if you want to have a good, good basketball team. And, and like Javon Pickett starting, you know, I'm sorry. Like, and I, I, I really, you know, I don't like killing kids. But you, you're not going to reach the NCAA tournament. You're not going to, you know, get to the finish line or, you know, whatever the uh, uh, the saying that the tagline is. Uh, you're not going to get there with him as a starter and primary guy. Like that's just that's factually, uh, you know, assessing his talent level. Um, if you could like put. Javon's head and heart into Xavier Pinson, boy, like that'd be a great player. There's nothing that you look at in the body of work from like Javon Pickett's career that tells you this was the role that he was meant to evolve into. Um, there are outliers everywhere. Like people talk about, like, oh, Jordan Barnett was not a great shooter and then he became one his senior year. Okay. I'll grant you that outlier. But most guys, hit their ceiling by their junior year and they kind of are what they are. Javon Pickett hit his ceiling really quick. Teams kind of figured out who he was. You know, he had to, as you talked about, kind of start the first couple of years, you know, Torrance's issues were well known, you know, great kid just could not get his jumper to ever recover to where you thought it would be. But then last year, you know, they, Finally, you know, are able to move Pickett into kind of that really good reserve role energy guy. They're able to get his shot selection down, get his volume down, get him into situations where, like you said, he's a catch and shoot guy in the corner. He's a catch, rip and go guy on the baseline. He's cutting, he's rebounding, he's doing all that stuff where he's not the primary option or even the secondary option in an action. But he's smart enough, he's dedicated enough, and he's fleshed out that role. Kobe Brown. You know, you saw it last night, early in the second half. Does a great job reading what Pickett's doing off the post, cuts from the slot, gets a bucket. Does a great job later on reading the defense helping up, cuts baseline, gets to the rim. You know, occasionally, you know, he does a good job getting a run out in transition. But there's just, maybe he bully balls a guy from the mid post, faces up and drives and scores. But there's just nothing in there that says primary initiator you know, or a guy who you're going to want to run, you know, your main handoff action for. And it's just weird to see that those are the roles that have been dispensed to those guys when you've seen two and three years of that not being the thing they do particularly well. And you go out and you get guys on Amari Davis who does do that well. Like when Amari Davis gets the ball on the wing and that guy gets to the paint, He's got good release angles on floaters. He's got a you know a nice package there if he can get really rolling. He's got the ability to play off the pull up. 
he's spotting up. He's got more spot up possessions. He's got three times as many spot ups as he does pick and roll touches. That that doesn't make sense. That's that's not his game. Is to space to a wing. You know, Jerron Coleman can you know play as a good secondary creator, but his thing is getting a high pick and roll. You know, playing with some pace, getting into the lane, really drawing that defense, and then finding a cutter like Kobe Brown or Javon Pickett. But we rarely see. We haven't seen that necessarily from them quite yet so it's just weird that like the two guys whose skill sets are suited for what missouri needs aren't getting that usage or in those sorts of situations and why were they brought in then like why why were they identified as pieces if they weren't going to be asked to do those things so i think that's just my question there is you know what was sort of the concept if you said we went out and we identified these guys for these particular facets of their game, but we haven't seen them yet, whether that's, you know, you, I think you have to give some credit to defenses for how they game plan because they can see film too. But I just don't get the sense like this, this offense or this system's hell bent on maximizing those things, which is just sort of curious to me as to, as to what the rationale is there. So Maybe it changes. Maybe they come out and everything looks right with the world against NIU, you know, tomorrow night on Thursday, and and all this is moot. But the first couple of games, it's just been probably not. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm putting the caveat out there. But but you know what I'm saying? Like it just it's <laughs> it's curious to me what we've seen because it doesn't fit what we know about these pieces they've brought in. And I think that that's the thing that's frustrating. It's like, why did you go get these guys if they weren't going to do these things? Yeah. And I think like, that's probably like, again, kind of goes into the, uh, the frustration levels that, that, you know, we're seeing, you know, from everyone, from the both of us, from people talking on rock animation Slack channel, from people texting me to, uh, people on Twitter and in the comment sections, and and I like I don't blame you. And I think like this is, this is, uh, I think this is maybe like you know, the crux of what I, I'm hopefully trying to accomplish with what we're talking about in this podcast is like I don't blame people for being frustrated. Uh, I I am frustrated by watching this team. Uh, the way that they did the you know these first two games i'm not at any point trying to make excuses i thought i thought they would be a very flawed team this year uh i thought they would defend way better than they have um and i thought they would be uh, functional enough offensively that they would be able to to you know at least give people some hope like i i really didn't think we were talking about an NCAA tournament I didn't think we were even talking about an ENIT. Like, I really didn't think we were going to have, I, you know, I think if you're you're talking about, well, what's your season goal? Well, that should be your season goal every year. When you look at the makeup of this team, it, it, that didn't make sense for what we were seeing. But if you saw growth, and and we could still see that. Like, we could still see this team get better and better and better as the season wears on. And if that happens, well, then I think the conversation that you're having at the end of the year uh is certainly different than what we're having right now. But I'm most worried about how far down this team is right now and how unprepared they look right now 
from where I expected them to be by this point in the season. They've had a whole off season to be together uh, and, and they look lost. And, and to me, like, that's the thing, like that, this is where, you know, all the people who are ready to, you know, pile on, like, I, I get it. Like it, it's, it's, it's pretty deserved at this point. Like they, and this, I think was my argument with like Mizzou football defense when everybody, everyone kept talking about the talent level is, is not good. Yeah, that's, that's correct. Like Missouri's talent level on football and bat, both basketball and football rosters is not elite. It's not good, but it, they should still play better than what they're playing. Uh, and I think like, you know, you, you're seeing the same players on the Missouri defense the last couple games um, in football look a whole lot better. And what's changed? Like the talent level hasn't changed. They're just playing better. And whether that's, that's you know, the coaches have, have made adjustments, they've made changes. For whatever reason, the Missouri defense on football has played better. And that's what you have to get on the basketball side. Like you have to get these guys who they're not the most talented and they're never going to be the most talented. They're, they're probably have the, you know, 13th best roster uh, in the league talent wise, but they should play better than they're playing. And that's the ceiling on this team to me was always like 10th. And the real hope out of this season was you'd find two transfers that you knew you could sort of say, okay, next season you're going to be, one of you is going to be a top two option. One of you is going to be a good secondary option. Anton Brookshire is going to, you know, look pretty solid. He's going to be poised to take over next year. And we're going to bring in a top 50 freshman who we think is going to elevate our wing play. You know, he's not going to be an elite score, but we're going to have an elite level defender out there. And, you know, if we've got four or five guys that can build, uh, you know, a, a quality starting five, that's that's enough. That's what you needed to do. You just need to be able to look at next season and go, we can take a starting five out there that's going to be that's going to be solid in the SEC. And then after that, it was really just sort of a Hunger Game situation for the rest of the roster. You know, it's it's. You know, I thought you know you and I love the upside of Trevon Brazil, but you know he's in some sort of medical issue that you know is undisclosed at this point, but realistically, the rest of this was just sort of like, if you could find, you know, Colin's talking about being nine deep. The real hope here for me was that they'd find four or five guys that could, you know, be the basis for a solid starting five next year. And then you, you go into the portal and see if you get upgrade if, if guys weren't hitting it right. You know, if they weren't transitioning appropriately, that's where we were. But at this point, you know, again, admittedly early, is there anyone that you look at on this roster and say, yeah, I see building that guy as a future piece for the next couple of years. That that's that was what this year needed to be. And if they don't have that, if that doesn't emerge, then this whole project and this whole sort of rationale is really just sort of doomed. Because there's not going to, you know, we've talked about it. Aiden Shaw is a fantastic prospect. He's getting better. You know, if he's a Jeremy Grant level prospect, though, 
that's not a guy that comes in and carries your office. That's a guy who comes in and, you know, is a good third option and is an elite defender. This team needed to find one, two, three pieces that I could put around Shaw next year and maybe find some extra help in the portal to push the roster forward. And so far, it's just hard to see what any of those pieces are are are, are going to be moving forward. So that's that's me trying to be as polite as possible about the current state. I don't know if if I was well, right, and I like. Yeah, and I think like that's sort of the end result here is is the the level of play that has has happened um, is not good enough. Uh, everybody that is currently on the roster needs to get a whole lot better and a whole lot better fast um, because UMKC was what the they were two sixty second two hundred sixty second when they came in last night. Yeah, I mean, what are there, like three other teams who are going to be, or two other games that they're going to play that are worse than UMKC? Everybody else is going to be better. It comes fast. They get, they have NIU tomorrow night. And the scary thing about NIU is, like, they are not good on offense. But they've played Washington, who's a high major team. They beat Washington, who's 135th in Kimpom, at Washington. And that's a sub-300 team in NIU. They went to Washington and beat them. They got blown out by Indiana, but if you look even in that blowout after those two games, they are defending a whole hell of a lot better than Missouri is right now. You know, outside of, you know, you know, maybe some runouts, they are better in the half court defensively. And if Missouri cannot score, then you know, I don't, I don't know what we're going to see tomorrow night. You know, NIU struggles to value the ball. They struggle in the glass, so Missouri may find a way to create some extra possessions and win this game. But there's a world in which this thing is a slog tomorrow night. Like, and if Thursday night, you know, if... So you almost you need to see him be decisive in that game. That needs to be a mercy killing, for lack of a better. That needs to be over quick. If it's a slog, if it's a lot like the CMU game, you're going to go to Jacksonville really, really worried about what the result's going to be. So um, we'll see. Certainly sobering times, as I mentioned earlier. <laughs> yeah. So um, you and I, so the, the schedule is uh, Missouri, we're recording this Tuesday night. Missouri plays in two days against Northern Illinois. Um, then the following Sunday, they play uh, SMU, right? Uh, they play, yeah, I think I think that's it. Let me. So yeah, they play SMU, and then Monday they play Loyal, basically LMU or the other game, LMU or Florida in State. Jacksonville. Um, I did get to see a little bit of the Florida, uh, Florida, Florida State game, and neither of those teams are very impressive. Certainly more impressive than Missouri, but uh, that was not a comment to say, oh, like Missouri can take those teams down. Um, yeah, so we're looking at at coming back uh, next Tuesday. Following, we'll have three games under the belt by then, and I, you know, I, I hope. 
maybe some more routine and getting back down on the floor quicker may improve performance. Is that like just completely outlandish? Uh, I mean, if you're looking for a get right situation, Northern Illinois could be it. I mean, they're the 13th worst ball handling team. They're one of the worst offensive rebounding and defensive rebounding teams in the country. They don't do much well aside from knockdown jumpers, which could be terrifying because that's what UMKC was only supposed to be able to do. But if, but there's a situation where you think, okay, Missouri's going to be able to get on the glass even if the offense isn't humming. They're going to be able to get out and transition and run a little bit. You know, they won't have time to think about it. They're going to have to get around, dig into a scout quickly. They're going to put their head back down. And they're getting a team that might facilitate them playing in the open floor and playing they want to play, playing the way they want to play. So that that's your mildly optimistic take about what awaits them is there's a situation where they could maybe get right pretty quickly. Well, here. and yeah, if you were worried about the defense on Evan Gilliard, um, Kendrick Davis at SMU is, is not going to be a lot of fun. Um, so the coaching staff needs to put in some late hours and can <laughs> figuring out a way to, to slow that guy down. Cause he's really good and he's, uh, he's small, he's fast, uh, good point guard. Um, and exactly the guy that gave Missouri trouble against uh, against Kansas City. Um, so yeah, so we'll be back in a week to uh, break down what happened in Jacksonville. Uh, hopefully, we don't have to get into more discussions about Council Martin's contract. It had to be done. Anything else before we get out of here? <laughs> no, just you know, I I feel the. I understand the frustration and I think, and I understand people wanting us to rip the cover off the ball here and just declare this whole thing, you know, moot over kaput. Um, you know, I'm not going to ever go that far, but look, I, I'm, I'm not going to tell you. They, they cannot fire him. They cannot fire him right now. Um, th- it's just not possible. So let's, let's dispense with that. But look, if, if you, are wanting to hit the eject button. I'm not going to tell you that it's ill-advised at all. I mean, I get it. You, what, what you saw Tuesday was just a complete, you know, a complete structural collapse in every way. So it's hard for me to, to tell you that, well, really the design wasn't that bad. I mean, it not when things go that, <laughs> it's just, no. so, uh, I, I understand the, well, you know, and, and, and not to, not to drag, uh, Aaron Dryden, you know, um, who does a great job. That was that was uh, way more than a than an outlier shooting night. Way more. Yeah, like like that's it. it yes, uh, UMKC hit uh, a lot of shots that maybe they don't hit on most nights, but there was a structural failing. Um, and 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 again, like I even said on on Twitter today, like to me, you know, like. If you're Missouri and 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 really like we've talked about Collins and Martin sort of reestablishing the baseline like that that's putting a hole through the baseline. Um, you don't lose to UMKC. You're allowed to struggle with them and have an, a, a rough night and things don't go well, but you should still be at your worst better than they are uh, and and to to beat them. Uh, maybe this season turns out to be a huge outlier. We see all kinds of crazy upsets. Uh, you know, transfer portal or transfer portal certainly 
uh, you know, change the dynamics of college basketball overall. Uh, but it still doesn't uh, excuse the performance that the team had against Kansas City. Like that's just that is not something that should be excused. Uh, it is on the coaches and it's on the players to to fix it, to get better, to uh, to make that game an outlier. Uh, and then, yeah, if it's if it's not, then certainly it's going to be a, a really bumpy season and and a really intriguing off season is because something is going to have to to change and change in a big way for uh, for really like the Missouri fan base to get any kind of confidence, uh, you know, back in, in this thing back on the road. Yeah, I mean, I think I tweeted it. There was a lot of political capital burned last night, and there might not have been a lot to begin with. God, like that's the another frustrating thing is like it maybe it like it, it reminded me so much like you know Barry Odom who would have like this run of like so many good things happen and he would just burn it all down but like just you know team that would just go into a shell poor play and it's just like ah man what a what a train wreck um but maybe that's going to be Mizzou basketball this year who knows uh we'll be back in a week to talk about it um and here for every week until the end of the season. Matt, how exciting is that? Um, Mizzou basketball catch the fever. Um, but regardless, like, you know, anything's possible. Hopefully, uh, as we are, uh, Matt's maybe not as hopeful as I am. I'm always hopeful. Uh, each day is, is, is a, a new one. And Mizzou basketball could improve tomorrow, uh, get better on Thursday, and maybe even win a game in Jacksonville. Who knows, Matt? You never know. Uh, so we'll be back in a week. Uh, we'll break down that. And uh, yeah, if you have any questions or comments, just fire them at us on Twitter. Uh, any complaints about audio issues? Uh, hopefully I've fixed mine. We've been having some weird stuff with my mic. Hopefully it sound better. If not, uh, you know, blame Levi. It's all his fault. Uh, so until then, uh, next week, thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you all soon.